Good morning, Grace Chapel. How are you this morning? Pretty good. Okay, that's good. I like that. I couldn't hear the campuses, but if you, I'm sure you could hear on your own campuses how you were. Uh, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have had the privilege to be thinking about Christmas for the last six months. Uh, I was part of a small team, and we, back in June, had our very first meeting. I remember saying to somebody, oh, I'm on my way to a Christmas meeting. Say that in June and see how people look at you. It's, it's awesome. So I am excited because we've been thinking about this day for a while. I'm also excited because I've got family in town getting to hear me preach. My mom and my grandma are right down here, which I'm very excited about. But the reason we started meeting in June is because we feel that this season is an important one. We feel that what God has to say to us as a community, us as a church, and you as an individual is important. And that I believe strongly that what he might do in us this season could be transformative. So we've been talking and praying and thinking and preparing our hearts for this. So I hope you are ready for what I trust will be an incredible experience this Advent as we kind of look at this idea of wonder. So let me open just by asking you a simple question. When was the last time you had your mind blown? When was the last time you found yourself amazed by something, dumbfounded, gobsmacked? When was the last time you felt yourself like with this true sense of being wonderstruck? I want you to think about that for a second. I've been thinking about it because I feel like as I have grown older, that part of me might have changed a little bit. I think back to being a kid. I remember the first time I went to the Badlands. If you've ever been to the Badlands, it is a place that brings about wonder. I was about 13 years old, and my whole family took a trip there. And the first time we drove up and there was a buffalo next to the car, it blew my mind. (laughs) I had heard about them. I'd seen them. I'd read about them, you know, in movies and TVs and stuff. But this thing walked up, and it felt like it was the size of our minivan, It felt like it could knock the car over, and I couldn't believe the strength and the power. I couldn't believe what the place looked like. It was like nothing I'd ever seen. That night, as the sun set and the stars came out, there were more stars than I even knew existed. It was unbelievable. We laid on our backs, and we watched shooting stars come across the pitch black sky. And then as we climbed into our pop-up camper, the coyotes started to howl. And that was an eerie experience. I remember laying there as they were, I'm sure, celebrating a successful hunt, or I I don't even know, and their mournful cries were echoing back and forth through the hills and thinking to myself, the only thing between me and them is this, like, flimsy wall here of the pop-up camper, and that tingle that went down my spine. And I remember strongly feeling this overwhelming sense of awe and wonder, a sense of mystery and majesty, this sense that the world was far more wild than I had ever imagined. Have you had that sense? Do you remember feeling that way when you were a kid? Can you remember experiences like that? Well, it turns out that kind of wonder is important for us when we're children. It's important for us because it it leads to our growth. Uh, Neil Burton from Psychology Today, he defines wonder this way. He says, wonder is a complex emotion involving elements of surprise, curiosity, contemplation, and joy. 
It's perhaps best defined as a heightened state of consciousness and emotion brought about, and this line is, is awesome, brought about by something singularly beautiful, rare, or unexpected. That is, by a marvel. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say, you are singularly beautiful, rare, or unexpected, a marvel. <laughs> Tell them that. Feel free, feel free to email me and I'll send you this quote if you want to put it in a letter to somebody and get some points. But it's beautiful, something singularly beautiful, rare, or unexpected, a marvel. And what that does for us as children is it causes us to marvel. It causes us to ask questions, to wonder why. What's the number one question that a small child asks? Why, 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 I don't know why, 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 why. My, my son is two and a half. He loves cars. Everywhere we go, he wants to know the name of every single car. I don't know all the names of all the cars. Sometimes you just start making it up. You don't even know. But what's that one called, Dada? What's this one? And then trucks to go by. What's in that truck? Like, I don't know what's in that truck. But he wants to know. He always wants to know. Because what it does when we wonder as children is it causes us to dig deeper. It causes us to ask questions and it causes us to grow. So Neil uh, continues this way. He says, wonder involves significant elements of surprise and curiosity, both, are, both of which are forms of interest. Surprise spans the divide between expectation and reality, directing our attention to something unforeseen. And then he says this, and I think this is an important line for us this morning, prompting us to re-examine and revise our concepts and beliefs. That night, as I laid in the Badlands listening to the howling coyotes, I was re-examining my concepts and beliefs. I had never heard that before. The world was wilder than I thought. This like nylon wall here wasn't as like thick as the one in my bedroom. I mean, I was really rethinking what the world was all about in that moment. I was growing and expanding. And that kind of growth is critical to us as children. And that's why children display wonder constantly. Just back uh, probably in August, we took the kids for the very first time to the aquarium. And as we walked into the aquarium, our two-year-old basically lost his two-year-old mind. <laughs> Here's a picture of him from the very beginning. Those, that eye, the look in his eyes was his look for hours. And as we walked in the front door, the first thing he did, he walked in, he just stopped. There's people everywhere. And he just basically at the top of his lung screamed, fish! <laughs> and then he ran around from tank to tank to tank and he kept going, data, fish, data, fish, fish, data, data, fish. He just ran all over the place for hours. Fish, data. And eventually you're like, yeah, I know. That's why we came here. <laughs> this is the place with the fish. But it blew his mind. He had this incredible sense of wonder. And now we have a, a Curious George book where he goes to the aquarium and he wants me to read it all the time. His world was expanding. His world was growing. He is making connections and concepts because of it. And as parents, as parents, we live for moments like that. Right? We love moments like that. Watching the world through the eyes of our children, it, it brings life and vitality to your soul. It's one of the reasons we love those, you know, kids say the darndest things type videos. We love watching what kids do. Because I wonder sometimes if that level 
of wonder and vitality can survive adulthood. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I struggle to recapture that same sense of wonder and mystery and majesty as an adult. When do you last remember feeling this way? I'm serious. Think about it for a moment. When do you last remember feeling this kind of sense of wonder? I wonder if your sense of wonder like mine might have atrophied in recent years. I wonder if you might be entering this season with a sense of tedium. And this season, I think, is what always highlights it for me. Because do you remember what it was like when you saw your first Christmas lights as a child? The first ones that came up, all maybe November, probably in October, I started thinking about it and wondering and looking and where were they going to come. And the first ones that came up, it just, it was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. It was so exciting. Christmas was coming. Just last night, we were driving down the road and Truman was just basically like screaming, lights, Dad, did you see the lights? And like, I got to watch the road. Yeah, lights. Right? We loved it. But as adults... That excitement, anticipation, that sense of kind of that magical feeling and the wonder, life has a way of sapping it. We've seen it too many times. We have too many things on our mind. We see the brokenness in the world more often. We become hardened to it. And when that happens, when we become hardened to it and we lose our sense of wonder, we lose more than just a beautiful experience. We actually start to lose some of our chance for growth our life actually begins to stagnate. We stop questioning, we stop wondering, we stop revising, we stop growing. And so a sense of wonder is incredibly important and I wonder if maybe you find yourself in that spot today. Maybe you're entering the Christmas season with a sense of tedium or a sense of burden or a sense of pain. And I would like to invite you this morning into thinking maybe a new way about it. I would like to invite you to consider that all might not be as it seems this Christmas season. That God might actually have something for you that this morning and this season might be an important one for you because God has something to say to you as we journey towards Christmas together. One of the things... I love about scripture is just how real and raw it is. Any sort of thing that we run into, when we go to the biblical writers, we find that they've recorded parallels for us, and this is similar. So what we're going to do today is we're going to start in the book of Isaiah, which is just one of the many books in the Bible. The Bible is a collection, almost like a library of letters, of poetry, of, of books. It's, it's all of these different documents put together, and one of them is by a man named Isaiah. It was written in the late 700s BC, and he was writing to the nation of Israel at a time at which their sense of wonder, their sense of hope, their sense of growth and the future was stagnating as well, if not downright dying. So we'll start in Isaiah chapter 9. Here's how he puts it. He says, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulon and Naphtali will be humbled but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. Then he says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Classic Christmas stuff, right? I mean, you guys, you guys remember that Bing Crosby song, Zebulon, the land of deep darkness? 
No? Okay. Because this is not the stuff we tend to read. If you want to write me that song, I would love to hear it. We'll sing it next week. This opening section might not be quite as familiar to us, but I think it's really important because without this opening section, the rest of it loses a lot of its power. So the question I think for us when we read something like this is what is going on here? Because there's a whole lot of darkness, there's a whole lot of brokenness here. So what is going on here, quite simply, is the apocalypse. Now, that might be a bit of hyperbole, but from the perspective of those who are living and reading Isaiah's words, that is exactly how they felt. There are infamous stories from the fall of Berlin in 1945, whereas the Russian offensive started, the pounding of the guns was so heavy around the city that everyone's phones started to ring off the hook with no one calling, that pictures rattled and fell off, smashing on the floor. A huge cross actually rattled off the top of a church and smashed itself in the middle of a town square. And to the people living in the city, they felt like it was the end of the world. That is exactly what the people in Israel were feeling at this moment. They were facing their possible imminent destruction at the hands of a more powerful nation. The Assyrian nation was currently the world power. And they were not just the world power, they were the world's dominant military, and their military was mean. Their military was nasty. They didn't just come in and conquer you, they came in and destroyed you. There are all sorts of images out there about what the Assyrians did to people they conquered, and it's horrible. And depending on when we think this was written, somewhere in the late 700s, it was either right before this army was going to invade or right after they had invaded and taken over the whole top half of the nation. Isaiah was probably speaking these prophecies as it was about to happen, and then the book was kind of collected and collated afterwards. So it's somewhere in that mix. But the people that were living in this felt like they were walking in darkness. They felt like they were living in a land of deep darkness. This calamity had befallen their neighbors, their friends, their relatives, and to them it felt like there was a sword hanging over their neck. These words so captured the imagination of the Jewish people that 700 years later, another writer named Matthew records them. And his quote is in Greek and it's got a bit more flavor to it, so I'll read it to you. He said, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light and those who've lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. Let me ask you, have you ever felt like you lived in a land where death casts its shadow? Have you ever felt like you were a person who was sitting in darkness? I bet you have. Our family lost someone last week, and that's how we felt. That is how we do feel today. So if you feel that way, you are not alone. Isaiah felt that way. The people of Israel felt that way. Many around us here feel that way. But what's beautiful about what Isaiah writes is it doesn't end there. Darkness and despair do not get the final word. And so he goes on to say this. He's speaking about God. He says, God, you will enlarge the nation of Israel and the people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery. You will lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will be burned. They will all be fuel for the fire. Think about this for a moment. Think about being in this nation, 
Think about what had just happened, what was possibly going to happen to you and your family. And then Isaiah writes these words. The nation had been cut in half. There was no hope. There was no future. There was nothing they could do. And Isaiah comes and says, guess what? God will actually fix this someday. Guess what? He will actually enlarge the nation. There will be a day when you rejoice for a people who probably felt like they would never rejoice again. He goes on to say even more that the yoke of slavery, the heavy burden, the oppressor's rod, all of these things will be lifted from your shoulder and everything that was used for warfare will no longer be needed. We will burn it in the fire. Imagine how that felt to them. Imagine their hearts longing for that and yet probably also being wary of it. They want it, but they don't want to believe so strongly that it actually crushes them if it doesn't happen. We get that sense, right? We understand. Wouldn't we, wouldn't we want all of these same things today? Don't our hearts long for all of these same things today? Of course they do. I know mine does. And the people realized, as Isaiah did, that talk is cheap. So it's one thing to say this, but it's another thing to actually offer proof of it. And so God does offer a promise for them, something to look for. And this promise was something that Isaiah related to his countrymen and that they have related for so long that here we are thousands of years later still reading it, still relating it over and over again to one another. And this is what he said. The promise for how this would come about, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. A child would be born to us. A son would be given to us. In the previous chapter, Isaiah had used the term Emmanuel a few times. Emmanuel means simply God with us. So here you have a child to be given to us, a son to be born to us, and a God who is with us. This is the kind of thing that if you had it, if this came to pass, this could bring about this promised future. So he gives them a little more information. What should the people look for? Well, here's what they'll look for. They'll look for somebody who is a wonderful counselor, this extraordinary God-like advisor. They'll look for somebody who is a mighty God, a heroic, powerful God who can take care of them. They will look for an everlasting father, someone whose rule of justice will never end. How many good kings had they had that had died off? How many bad kings had they had that had died off? There was something about if you could get the perfect king and that king could stay with you forever, what would that mean for stability and peace? And then that last one, the one that they were so desperate for, a prince of peace. We're still desperate for that. I would love for all of these things to be fulfilled right this second in my life, wouldn't you? And so the people were desperate for this. Back, back to Matthew, the, the, Greek, the writer who wrote in Greek. The, he, was, he was an interesting guy. He was a tax collector by trade, and that means that he had basically sold out his countrymen for wealth. And I'm pretty convinced based on reading the story that what he was trying to do is what so many of us were trying to do. He was trying to fulfill all of these needs on his own. He was trying to accrue wealth and power and prestige so that all of these needs were met in him. But then something interesting happens to him. He meets this man and it changes his life. He records it simply like this. He said, as Jesus was walking by, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. In meeting Jesus, 
Matthew's life changes dramatically. He has this incredible, awe-stricken experience where he follows Jesus. He watches Jesus love people with this incredible love he'd never seen. He watches Jesus perform miracles. He watches Jesus uh, like go up against corrupt power structures. He watches Jesus, because of that, die on the cross, I'm sure, with tears in his eyes. And then he records for us that a few days later, with wonder in those same eyes, he watches Jesus walk back in the door. And so Matthew is convinced that he has found the promised son given to us, the promised child to us, the Emmanuel, God himself, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. And so here's my question for you this morning. Have you met him yet? Have you met Jesus yet? I don't just mean heard his name. I don't just mean know something about him. Have you actually met him? Because when Matthew met him, it changed his life. When I met him, it changed my life. When you meet him, it is amazing. It changes everything. We find ourselves awestruck. We find ourselves flabbergasted. We find ourselves gobsmacked. We find ourselves filled with wonder over what Jesus can and will do in our lives. There's a young woman named Erin on one of our campuses who's been having this experience over the last year. And she's been writing beautifully on social media about it. And so I asked her, I said, could I share some of these? And, and she agreed. So let me read you a couple things that she's written over the last year. She said this, still kind of can't believe that this is real life. I'm so overwhelmingly grateful and honored to have been, been given such an amazing privilege of sharing the stage with some insanely talented musicians at my church. Learning how to follow Jesus and in turn rediscovering my passion and my purpose has been the most amazing experience. And the fact that I get to live it with some of the greatest people is just mind-blowing to me. And we're just getting started. God is so good and he has done amazing things for me. Now, maybe you hear that and you think, okay, like, like an emotional high. She got to serve, she got to do this, she got to join in with people, new friends. Maybe this was just a really good day. Well, about a month later, she wrote this. She said, this weekend was such a blessing. Stepping out of fear and into faith and hope has been the greatest change. My puny mind can't even comprehend the love that God so freely and constantly pours out for all of us. I'm so grateful for him and everyone who made this experience so incredible. Then she says this, at this point, I'm just staying flabbergasted. Then a couple weeks after that, and this one's my favorite, she says, be right back just losing my mind over God's love all over again. Flabbergasted, losing her mind. When's the last time, let me ask you, when's the last time you lost your mind over something that was good? When's the last time you found yourself amazed by something, flabbergasted by something incredible? When's the last time you were wonderstruck, you felt true wonder? Neil Burton, that, that guy from Psychology Today, wrote this. He said, sadly, many people do not open themselves up to wonder for fear it may distract them, overwhelm their resources, or upset their equilibrium. To wonder is also to wander, to stray from society and its norms and constructs, to be alone, to be free. And then he says this, which I love, which is, of course, deeply subversive. I think it's okay to be afraid to wonder because it does change things. And it's natural for us to lose some of that sense of wonder as we age, but it is not inevitable. 
I've been thinking about this topic a lot over the last six months as we've been approaching this, and what I have found is that I have thought about it, it has actually made me more open to wonder. Just, just a couple weeks ago, and it's a little ridiculous, but I was out with my son, we were playing, and a leaf fell from a tree, and it did the, you know, the little where it pirouettes, and it seems like it stays up there forever, coming down. And something about it just caught my attention, and I found myself standing, I was staring, and I was looking at this leaf, and I found myself thinking, this is the only time in all of eternity when that leaf will fall from that tree, and I am the only one in all of eternity that will see it. <laughs> yeah, you can laugh at that, it's okay. <laughs> But that's what I was thinking about. It was this leaf was just coming down and down and down and down. And I found myself thinking, like, all of a sudden, my mind is on eternity. My mind is on creation. My mind is on my, my place on this little rock hurtling through, the, or through the, the, the universe. I found myself with my mind blown. I wanted to grab my son and say, look, do you see that leaf? Do you see what it means? But I, he, he didn't care. <laughs> he didn't care at all. There was something about that experience that felt wonderful to me. Something about it that felt huge as I marveled over creation, time, my place in it, and the one behind it all. So here's my last question for you this morning. Are you open to the possibility of wonder this Christmas season? Are you open just to the possibility that Jesus Christ might be the Emmanuel, the God with us? the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace that we are all so desperate for. If you are open to that, can I suggest that you actually meet him? Because he is actually an incredibly wonderful. Let me just give you one quick suggestion. If you're open and you're thinking about this, there's something stirring in you, have a conversation with someone. If you came with somebody today to any one of our canvases, uh, have a conversation. Just ask them a few questions. Dig deep, work together as you revise your concepts and beliefs. But ask them, why do you think this? What do you feel about this? What has Jesus done in your life? Why do you follow him? Ask, him, ask them some of those questions. And if you, didn't, if you came alone to one, of these, to one of our campuses today, number one, I know that takes a lot of guts and we are so, so grateful you're here. Come talk to one of us. Find one of the pastors on your campus. There'll be somebody who gets up and they do the benediction at the end on any campus. Go talk to them at the end. Or call us at the office. We would love to have coffee and to talk with you. But don't let this moment pass you by. And then lastly, I would just say, join us over the next several weeks as we explore the concept of wonder and Jesus together. Now, for those of you who've been around faith a long time and maybe you've felt your own sense of wonder fade, I would recommend connecting with people who are new to the faith. You could serve at an alpha table where you sit and you talk about incredible and difficult questions with people who are exploring faith. And I promise you, like me with my son, I promise you that you will find yourself wrestling with things that you hadn't thought about. I promise you'll find yourself growing in ways that you didn't expect. And then maybe invite someone. Invite someone to come and join us here. Um, a number of us on staff have been reading this incredible book called You Found Me. It is the product of a nationwide survey asking people their thoughts and their receptivity to faith and to the church. And what they find is actually staggering, that people are far more receptive to their friends and family having conversations about their faith than I think I would have thought. They're far more receptive to invitations 
to come and be a part of a community of faith exploring this stuff together than I would have thought. And next week, next week what we're going to do is we're going to go to a topic that I believe is universal and a topic that anybody and everybody wants to discuss, and that's just simply, is it a wonderful life? How many of you have seen that movie come on TV at some point and had that thought to yourself? Like, yeah, I believed this when I was younger, but I'm not sure I believe it now. What, what about when life isn't wonderful? What about when life is broken? That's what we're going to talk about. I promise you, you have people around you and in your life who would love to have a conversation about that. Maybe just invite them to come along and say, we're having this, like, this weird topic next week. We're going to talk about something. I'd love to have you come. I'd love to just pick your brain. Let's go, let's go get coffee together afterwards and, and discuss it together. For the rest of us, for all of us, in preparation for the rest of Advent, do something in this next week and over the weeks to come that helps cultivate wonder in your life. Go for a walk in the snow, start journaling, read some poetry, write some poetry, do something. Watch a leaf as it falls down. I don't care what it is. But do something that encourages wonder and growth in you. Because it turns out that wonder is really critical for us as human beings. It prompts us to re-examine and revise our concepts and beliefs, and there really is not a bigger concept or belief that we should wrestle with than this topic of the Emmanuel, God with us. What does it mean for me? What does it mean for the world? What does it mean for my neighbors? This is huge, and we should be wrestling with this. And Isaiah knew. He knew that this was a huge proclamation. So he offered some promises from God to kind of help seal the deal. And this is what he said. I'll start back in verse six. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And then he says this. He says, his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. And then this last line, which I love so much, the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. It's like a mic drop type of moment for a prophet. This is the kind of statement that if it's true, it should cause us to wonder. It should cause us to wrestle with it. It should cause us to grow. If you felt something stirring in you this morning, do not let that go. That means that God was waiting for you. He was ready for you. He wanted to speak to you. He wanted to talk to you. He has something for you. Don't let that go. Have a conversation with somebody. Write it down. Put your thoughts down somewhere. And then come back and join us in these other weeks. And then also, don't feel like you have to rush to a conclusion too quickly. Live in that sense of wonder for a while. Ask questions about what it means in your life. Have discussions with other people. Revise and re-examine your concepts and beliefs. And I bet you, God will meet you right where you are and right where you need. Amen? Amen. So over the next few weeks, we will follow the wonder together as we approach Christmas in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Amen. Lord God, we thank you for this incredible opportunity to be here together. We thank you for this, this beautiful passage from Isaiah and this story from the nation of Israel and, and how it found its person in you. Lord, we thank you for the fact that Jesus Christ came. We thank you for what he means for us. And, and God, I just ask for our entire congregation, for each person sitting in here, would you speak to them this week? Would you give them experiences of wonder as the week goes on? Would you bring the right people around to have conversations? And Lord, would you bring people around them 
to kind of bring life to through the name of Jesus. We ask all this in the wonderful and amazing name of Jesus. Amen.